everybody, how are you? This is Chris. This is episode 161 of the Libertarian Republican Podcast. I am your humble host. Uh, thanks again for joining me. Thanks for all the likes and the shares and everything. Um, this one is about the, the book, the Frederick Bastiat's book, The Law. Now, I just think this is so important for everybody to read. Everybody should read this book. But especially Republicans and Libertarians. I mean, obviously, look, I mean, one of the things I, I am the Libertarian Republican, right? I am, what am I doing here? I'm trying to introduce Republicans, your your average run-of-the-mill, regular, everyday Republicans, to some Libertarian ideas and Libertarian philosophers and writings and concepts that uh, I think you know, because what do we what do we believe? We believe in limited government. Well, why do we believe in limited government? And so I think we've that we've got a guy like Frederick Bastiat. Now he's famous for writing the essay "That Which Is Seen Versus That Which Is Unseen," which I've talked about before. Uh, it's basically the the broken window fallacy, where if somebody breaks your window, it's good for the economy. You have to hire a guy to come fix your window, and so. The window fixer guy makes money, and but of course the problem with that is, at the end of that, you have a window which you had before, so you're no better off. the The window fixing guy is better off, but you are no better off. Whereas if you, and in the in the example he gives in the book is uh, a new suit, I think it is. So if you had used that money instead of paying the guy to fix your window, if you had used that money to to buy a new suit, the tailor. Would, would have benefited instead of the window guy, and you would have benefited because now you have a window and a new suit, right? So this is, that's a really basic thing, and it's basically the same thing about uh, he, he, um, government spending, right? Government spending is every dime the government spends must per, first be taken away from someone else. So it's the broken window fallacy. So, you know, people... The Democrats, of course, they're the stupidest people in the world, and they look at government spending. Oh, look at all the government spending, and they think it's good. But of course, they, it, they it's the seen versus the unseen because you see the government spending. But what if the people who had that the government took took that money away from other people to spend it? So what would those people have done with the money if they hadn't had that money taken away from them? So. So that's what the, the the scene that's what seen versus unseen is all about. But this this book, the law, is is it's only fifty five pages long. So for God's sake, go out and read it. You know, it's it's fifty five pages. It, it won't take you long. But basically, what he's talking about is what is the whole point of government? What is the point of the law, the government? And he's talking about the law is the government. So and. He's, he starts off by talking about basically the same ideas, the, these, uh, the John Locke, life, liberty, property, the natural rights idea, the enlightenment ideas of, of life, liberty, property. This is John Locke, second treatise on government. Uh, everybody has, a right, has rights to life, liberty, and property, uh, and nobody should violate those rights, and the government's job is to protect those rights. That's basically what he says. And he, he kind of starts off early in the book here is uh, what is the law? What is what then is law? And really, he's talking about what is the whole purpose of government? And it's the collective organization of the individual right to lawful defense. 
he writes, uh, I'm reading here now, nature, or rather God, has bestowed upon every one of us the right to defend his person, his liberty, and his property, since these are the three constituent or preserving elements of life, elements each of which is rendered complete by the others. Right? You can't have one without the others. You need all three of them, because if somebody, obviously, if if somebody takes away uh, your property, your home, where you sleep, where you shelter yourself, then um, uh, you might die. So you, they're taking away your life. If somebody takes away your life, then obviously they're taking away your liberty. If somebody takes away your liberty, then what's the point of your life, right? If, if somebody takes away your uh, property, then they're taking away your liberty because you worked to say you work all day to earn money and then you buy something and then someone steals that from you, well, then basically, basically you were working for them. You were, you were their slave that whole day. So, so these rights are all connected. Um, and he says, if every man has the right of defending, even by force, his person, his liberty, and his property, a, a number of men have the right to combine together to extend, to organize a common force to provide regularly for this defense. So he's talking about that's what government is. It's, a go it's when people get together. It's the extension of our individual rights to life, liberty, property. It's when, so he writes, he continues, collective right then has its principle, its reason for existing, its lawfulness in individual rights. And the common force cannot rationally have any other end or any other mission. So thus, as the force of an individual cannot lawfully touch the person, the liberty, or the property of another individual, for the same reason, the common force cannot lawfully be used to destroy the person, liberty, or property of individuals. So it's basically, that's what government is. Government is an extension of our individual rights. It's when we, we establish a system for protecting our individual life, liberty, property. And he's talking about if, if the government, if people established a government that was just focused on that, he says, and if a people established upon this basis, if a, um, if a people established upon this basis were to exist, it seems to me that order would prevail. Uh, it seems to me that such a people would have the most simple, the most economical, the least oppressive, the least to be felt the most restrained, the most just, and consequently, the most stable government that could be imagined, whatever its political form might be. And this goes, this, this is kind of like Thoreau, Henry David Thoreau's famous quote, uh, the, that government governs best, which governs least, right? So it's this idea that if the government was just really, really small and focused just on protecting our rights, everything would be so simple and, and stable. Nobody would be trying to overthrow the government because the government really doesn't have any power, right? This is what I say all the time. The, you know, we have, this, these, we have two political parties in America battling over, over the government because it has so much power. So um, he, he says in a system like that, we should know, we should only know it, when he's talking about government, we should know it, government, only by the inestimable blessing of safety. 
So the government should just focus on protecting our rights, and that's it. Uh, it he goes on to say, it may further be affirmed that, thanks to the non-intervention of the state in private affairs, our wants and their satisfactions would develop themselves in their natural order. We should not see poor families seeking for literary instruction before they were supplied with bread. We should not see towns peopled at the expense of rural districts, nor rural districts at the expense of towns. We should not see those great displacements of capital, of labor, and of population that legislative measures occasion, displacements that render so uncertain and precarious the very sources of existence, and thus enlarge to such an extent the responsibility of governments. Right, so he's talking about the government flips priorities. When government starts getting involved in things, it starts it starts asserting its own priorities and it, over over your priorities, right? It it takes money away from you and thus denies you what you would have done with it, and instead replaces it with what it wants. And it so it it it. Um, you know, and this is, goes back to every dime the government spends must first be taken away from someone else. So remember, he's writing this in 1850. I don't know if I mentioned that. Um, so, yeah, this is 1850. Uh, and he says, unhappily, law is by no means confined to its own sphere. It has left its proper sphere. Yes, even in 1850, he's complaining about government getting too big and too powerful. It's overgrowing its its constraints. Um, because remember, this is... The, the 1840s was... Uh, remember, the, the revolutions of 1848, there were... This is a time when Marxism is on the rise, when socialism is on the rise. Um, and he goes on to say, um, it has acted in direct... It, government has acted in direct opposition to its proper end. It has destroyed its own object. It has placed the collective force in the service of the... The collective force is government. It has placed the collective force, the force of government, in the service of those who wish to traffic without risk and without scruple in the persons, the liberty, and the property of others. It has converted plunder into a right that it may protect it and lawful defense into a crime, that it may punish it. Yes. <laughs> so you, when the government gets too big, it, uh, it, it basically, he's talking about plunder, and he goes on, plunder is a big word, he, it, it shows up again and again and again, that's really what it's all about. Um, the law has been perverted through the influence of two very different causes, naked greed and misconceived philanthropy. So I think we can, obviously we can all agree that there are there are two kinds of people in government, right? There are the people who mean well, but are really, really stupid and destructive. Uh, and then there are the people who are just plain corrupt and rotten, just, just pure evil, rotten, corrupt, and looking to enrich themselves and enrich their friends. Um, but let's, let's speak of the former. The, and he's talking about naked greed. Self-preservation and, develop, and development is the common aspiration of all men. Uh, but there is, there is another disposition, which is to, to live and to develop 
when they can at the expense of one another, right? So we all want to preserve ourselves and and uh, enrich ourselves and and develop ourselves. Um, but some people will do it at the expense of other people, and that's essentially what plunder is. So. Uh, he's talking about labor. Labor being in itself a pain, and man being naturally inclined to avoid pain, it follows, and history proves, that wherever plunder is less burdensome than labor, it prevails. And neither religion nor morality can prevent it from prevailing. So, basically, yeah, plunder, uh, if it's easier to steal, and it, that's basically what, look, look at what we have. We have these absolute useless worthless idiots in our government uh who have no skills they have no way to survive in the real world and this is uh you can there's another great book franz oppenheimer's the state he talks about the two different kinds of entrepreneurs the political entrepreneur and the market entrepreneur where you can't survive you know if you can't survive in the free market well get a government job or get into politics because all you need to do in politics is is figure out how to take one group of people's money and give it to another group of people. And you can make a whole career out of that. That's what Democrats do. Democrats take money from one group of people and give it to another group of people. Um, so uh, when does plunder cease then, he goes on. When it becomes more burdensome and more dangerous than labor. So if you want to end plunder, you have to make it burdensome and, and dangerous. And the proper aim, he goes on, I'm quoting, the proper aim of law is to oppose plunder with the powerful obstacle of collective force. So the government, the force of government, should be fighting plunder. But of course, it doesn't. It, it turns into, and, and, this, and he, go, he goes on to say, but the law is made generally by one man or a class of men, and it must place this collective force in the hands of those who legislate. So the people, the government has the, has the force, right? The government has the police. The government is, they're the ones with the force. So this inevitable phenomenon leads to an almost universal perversion of law. Instead of being a check upon injustice, it, it, the law, the government, becomes its most invincible instrument, right? It destroys for its own profit. It is in the nature of men to rise against the injustice of which they are victims. So, so he's talking about the, the government, when the, the government has all the money, has all the power, not the money, the government has all, all the power. And, and so when it becomes a force for plunder, it's very hard to, to fight it. Uh, and we see that now. We see that today. It's very hard to fight the government. It's very powerful. They will crush you. Um, now, okay, he goes on. It is in the nature of men to rise against the injustice. So when plunder is organized by law, men seek to enter in some way into the manufacturing of laws. So they want to get people get into politics because, and it's two, two different things, the, to, to two different ends. Either they want to put an end to the lawful plunder, or they may desire to take part in it, right? It's very, it's, it's very, you have to be an extremely principled person to get into politics, to basically, 
to to get into politics to end plunder. And I, I did an episode about this, about uh, government attracts sociopaths. <laughs> and uh, yeah, government basically attracts people who who want to plunder other people. Um, and and it, it takes a very, very special man, a person, man or woman, it takes a very special, very principled person to get into to power and to use that power to stop the plunder, to not enrich himself. Because, you know, you when you get, when you become president or a senator or a congressman, whatever, or a governor, you, you have so much power. You can, you can enrich yourself. It is so easy and it's so tempting to enrich yourself. Um, so it takes a very special person to to want to get in there and, and, and put an end to plunder. So most of the people who get into politics, obviously special people like that are rare. So most of the people who get into politics are there to take part in the plunder. Uh, now, this he goes on to say here, Woe to the nation where this latter thought prevails amongst the masses. At the moment when they, in their turn, seize upon the legislative power. So, yeah, the this is what I talk about all the time. This is what I talk about, about America becoming unsustainable. When you have the when you have 50, all you need is 51 percent of the people to decide to plunder the 49 percent. They will vote, they'll vote Democrat, and the Democrats will just just plunder the 49%. And there you go, that's it. Uh, and it's, a, it's really, like I've said, it's a, it's a bipartisan problem. It's not just Democrat versus Republican. This is the plunderers versus the plundered. That's what it is. That is the battle, the struggle in America, and really in humanity itself, all, of, all through every country you can imagine. There are the plunderers and there are the plundered. So, okay, he goes on to say, up to that time, lawful plunder has been exercised by the few upon the many. Um, as in the case where the right of legislating is confined to a few hands. But now it has become universal. The injustice that society contains is generalized. Um, so, it would be impossible, therefore, to introduce into society a greater change and a greater evil than this, the conversion of the law into an instrument of plunder. I mean, this is just, this is just everything we talk about. This is everything we're worried about. And I think, the, you know, these ideas, we have to talk more about these ideas, about this is why we want government to be small. Because the government has the capability, uh, uh, when, when our government becomes a giant machine that is designed to take your money, then it, it, is, it is incredibly dangerous and destructive to, to humanity, to society. And he, he goes on to say, no society can exist unless the laws are respected. But the safest way to make them respected is to make them respectable. When law and morality are in contradiction to each other, the citizen finds himself in the cruel alternative of either losing his moral sense or losing his respect for the law. In, it is 
it is so much in the nature of law to support justice that in the minds of the masses, they are one and the same. So he's talking about when, when the law becomes immoral, when it's clear that our government is immoral and just ripping us off, well, we, we are, we, we're stuck between a rock and a hard place, right? Because basically that means we, we turn into anti-government. So what, which, which are we going to become, a criminal or an immoral person? Are we going to embrace the, the government, even though it's doing immoral things, with things that we know are wrong and, and just there to, to serve itself? So we're going to support that? Or are we going to t- become criminals? We're going to become enemies of the state, domestic terrorists. It puts us all in a very bad position. And um, and he goes on to say to talk about a lot of people think that just because something is the law, well, it must be good, which is ridiculous, right? Because so you get a lot of people who who. Uh, it is sufficient then, he goes on, okay, it is sufficient then for the law to order and sanction plunder that it may appear to many consciences just and sacred. Slavery, protection, and monopoly find defenders, not in, not only in those who profit by them, but in those who suffer by them. Because a lot of people are just, they're, they're so brainwashed to think that, well, if the government says we have to do this, it must be good, it must be right, it must be moral, but no, it's not. So, so uh, another effect of this deplorable perversion of the law is that it gives to human passions and to political struggles and, in general, to politics, properly so-called, an exaggerated importance. You know, wow, what a, I, that right there is so important to say, because, yes, we have this right now in America, politics is the most important thing. The president is the most powerful person in the world, in the world. And it's ridiculous. It was never supposed to be this way. Um, the stupidest, most useless, most worth, worthless people in the world are the most powerful people in the world because government is so powerful, because government has, is, has developed into this gigantic machine for plundering. And he goes on to talk about universal suffrage, about how people wouldn't people wouldn't really care about voting if the government wasn't that powerful, right? So, <laughs> uh, yeah, we we talk about oh, we gotta vote, we gotta vote, we gotta vote. Well, if we didn't, if the government wasn't that powerful, people just wouldn't care that much, and that's really the way it should be. So, um, he goes on to talk about the. If the, fi- if the fatal principle should come to be introduced that under the pretense of organization, regulation, protection, or encouragement, the law may take from one party in order to give to another, help itself to the wealth acquired by all the classes, that it may increase that of one class, whether that of the agriculturist, the manufacturer, the shipowner, the artist, or comedians, then certainly in this case there is no class which may not try and with reason to place its hand upon the law that would not demand with fury its right of election and eligibility 
and that would overturn society rather than not obtain it. Even beggars and vagabonds will prove to you that they have an incontestable title to it. Right? So everybody wants a piece of the pie. When everybody wants to get their hands on the on the machine. You know, the, everybody wants to get their hands on on the... Um, and, and this is one of the things that he talks about. Uh, he goes on in this book about about um, plunder is... is uh, legalized plunder is basically... You, you develop an entire culture around legalized plunder. And government is this, this myth that where we all seek to live at each other's, at the expense of each other, right? So, but that's later. Uh, he says, in, in a word, there will be fighting around the door of the legislative palace, which is a perfect perfect way to, to talk about how we fight over political power, right? Uh, is there any need to prove that this odious, odious perversion of law is a perpetual source of hatred and discord? right? Look at America. Look at how divided we are. Because we have built this government, we've made this government so big and so powerful that we're all, the, the Democrats want to use it. And really, it's, it's to me, it's, it's two sides. It's the, you know, the, the Democrats want to use this government to enrich their friends, to, to, to solve all the right, all the wrongs of the world, to right all wrongs, to to help everybody and everything. But the, of course, the they they have developed a a a, a plundering society, a society of plunder. I mean, that's what America has turned into. We are a society of plunder, where we have half the people who are living off of the other half of the people, whether they be. And I did an episode about this called Unsustainable, about how we have all these people, you know, government employees, government contractors, kids on, on financial aid going to college, all the, all the academics, the professors and the administrators in colleges who live off of all this financial aid. You've got the people in the military, which is way too big. You've got um, all the government employees all the way down, federal, state, local. Uh, you have uh, retirees on Social Security, which is just a Ponzi scheme. I mean, they've already the government has already spent all of that money. Uh, you've got poor people on welfare, people on Obamacare subsidies. So you have all of these people, and now you have millions, tens of millions of illegal immigrants on government subsidies, getting free government money, free housing. So you've got basically, you, and that's what the Democrats are trying to do. They're trying to develop. They're trying to build a society where half or 51% of the people plunder the 49%. And they are the party of the plunderers. And the problem is that we have Republicans who are on their side. We have Republicans in Washington who are all big fans of the plunderers. You know, Lockheed Martin and Raytheon and General Dynamics and all these people, all these defense contractors making money off of the, the war in Ukraine. They're plundering. That's plunder. And Republicans are, in, are involved. Republicans are for it. And they don't see what's happening. They don't. And this is what we need to do. You know, we, the, the few 30 people who listen to each one of my, my episodes or so, 
Well, I get about a hundred. I get about a hundred listens per episode. But we, we, we happy one hundred. We need to talk to these people. These 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 Republicans who are involved in the plundering, and we need to call them out as the plunderers that they are. So uh, now he goes on. Bastiat goes on here, basically talking about extra legal plunder and then legal plunder. And, but I'm going to stop here because it's, uh, I mean, I'm already at 28 minutes here, so I should stop. But I think that um, this, this book is absolutely essential reading. Essential reading. You must read this book. Um, if, it's just so important. You've got to read this book. And we have to be, the Republican Party needs to be the party that represents the plundered. Okay? We are the party that represents the plundered, and the Democrats are the party that represents the plunderers, and we need to articulate that. And if we can articulate that, we can win people over because nobody likes to be plundered. So, all right, that's it. I'm going to stop there. 29 minutes. All right, I'm going to stop. Uh, I hope you like this. Uh, I'm sorry it's so long, but I think it's an important one. And uh, uh, if you like this podcast, give me some good ratings and uh, go out and read this book. Get it. It's, you know, get on Mises.org or Amazon or whatever and pick up a copy. It's 55 pages, for God's sake. All right. So, okay. Have a great day. Rest of your day. And uh, I will see you on the next one. All right. Bye-bye.